HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. everyone and welcome to Eating Matters where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. We're broadcasting live as usual from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, live on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Eating Matters associate producer Talia Ralph sitting in for host Kim Kessler today. Um, and we are really excited to continue our series Prescribing Food where we're looking at the ways that healthcare and eating are intersecting every day. Um, and we are talking to Alyssa Wasung, the Director of Policy and Planning for God's Love We Deliver, which provides nutrition individually tailored meals to people who are too sick to shop or cook for themselves as well as their families and caregivers. Initially based in New York City, the program has since expanded to include all five boroughs as well as Newark and Hudson County, New Jersey, as well as having sister presences nationally. God's Love cooks around 5,000 meals each weekday for people living with life-altering illnesses, and we are honored to possibly have one of their clients, Sarah, join us later on the line today to talk about their experience. But thank you so much for being with us, Alyssa. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're excited to have you. So for those listeners of ours who may not be super familiar with your organization, um, it started very much as a response to HIV and AIDS. Um, Can you tell us that story of sort of where where it originated? Sure, absolutely. Um, So the first thing I'll probably just start off with is that we are not a religious organization despite our name, Mm -hmm. and I will get into that just a little later. Um, Our roots are really in human caring, and it started uh, back in 1985 where um, our founder, Ganga Stone, who was a hospice volunteer, brought a bag of groceries to a man who was dying of HIV-AIDS. And you have to remember, this was back in the time where HIV transmission wasn't understood, so the very act of of being there with him was an act of solidarity. Mm -hmm. And um, she came back the next day, the groceries were still on the counter untouched, and she just realized, you know, that he didn't need groceries, he needed a meal. And that's where the epiphany came about, and the very simple act of delivering a meal, um, she realized, could bring dignity to the situation. And so she started 
cooking for him. And um, she actually started enlisting his friends in that effort. Um, it's funny. She's kind of a go-to woman. So she, she got out his address book and like <laughs> went through it and called them up and said, um, awesome. you've got Tuesday. <laughs> um, and, you know, it just sort of snowballed and uh, everybody started calling her. And then she enlisted restaurants and pretty soon it was 50 meals a day. And um, it's just gone on from there. And over the years, you know, we've really added nutrition to that whole component um, it is our signature difference, and it's what makes us really unique. Um, so, yes, it started with HIV/AIDS, um, but then we've we've expanded from mm-hmm. there. And I definitely want to talk about the nutrition aspect of what you do mm-hmm. in just a minute. But how has that client base changed? What is it sure. now? Do you still serve the HIV/AIDS community, and, and sort of how has that shifted over the years? Absolutely. So um, the change really at God's Love has been constant because the needs of our clients are constantly changing. Like even with HIV, um, when antiretrovirals were in, in, introduced, you know, it's helped our clients live longer, but it's also changed what kind of nutrition they needed. So at first it was wasting we were addressing, and now we're addressing things like diabetes and other comorbidities. Um, But back in 2001, we actually expanded our mission to serve people living with all severe illnesses, um, cancer, MS, Alzheimer's, etc. And the reason we did that is that we had learned so much about treating illness through nutrition with our work with the HIV AIDS community um, that we had clients um, calling us up saying, my friend has cancer, can you help them? My friend has MS, can you help them? And of course, we couldn't say anything but yes. And so we expanded to serve people with all illnesses, and that's really been a sort of symbiotic relationship because there's lots of comorbidities, and so our work with other um, diseases has informed our work with HIV. And uh, we're still really solidly in um, serving the HIV-AIDS community, um, but obviously at 1.3 million meals a year, we're definitely... um, uh, serving other other di- diagnoses as well. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I just want to say today we're actually delivering our 16 millionth meal wow. over our 30-year history. Congratulations. So, um, Who's and getting it? Do you know exactly I don't know the going? exact client, but go to Twitter and you will figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say also that some things haven't changed in our program Um, We've been doing this for 30 years now, and uh, we still stick to the same three core principles. And those are that we believe being sick and hungry is a crisis that demands an urgent response. So unlike some meal programs, we get the food to the client the next delivery day. There's no red tape, etc. And then we never charge clients for their meals, and we will never have a waiting list. And that last principle has Mm -hmm. really led to tremendous growth because people need us. Wow. How do you juggle that? That must be a tough tough, um, principle to stick to sometimes. Absolutely. And I think that that is where the change comes from. As as we stick to those three principles and the values that really inform our mission, um, it's it's helped us to um, be very creative, I would say, especially in how we fund our organization, um, but also um, be creative in the policies that support our mission. Mm-hmm, for sure. And your focus is policy, and, and so is ours here. But I'm just curious um, about the nutrition aspect that seems to really differentiate you guys and obviously does a lot of good for your clients. How are you navigating the nutritional aspect. I mean, can you give us an example of mm-hmm. something you would do for a certain disease or client? 
Sure. So um, we actually don't put clients on a diet. That's a common misconception because we want to give the client as much variety as possible. If you think about when you're sick, you may not feel like eating a whole meal one day. You may just want some soup. So we do our best to give them as much variety as possible so that they actually eat and they're nourished. Um, and in that, in service of that goal, um, we do a lot of dietary modifications. So, um, and it's different for each client. You know, two clients may have the exact same diagnosis, but because of medication issues or body composition or any sort of thing they're dealing with, we give them a different diet. Um, a good example is our, our cancer um, our cancer clients tend to rotate on and off the program, and they make it something uh, like a bland diet because when they go through chemo or radiation, it's really hard for them to stomach certain foods. Mm-hmm. Um, our Alzheimer's patients may come on with a certain type of uh, food composition, and then by the end of the trajectory of their disease may need something minced or pureed. So we really do a lot of, of, of modification, hence the individually tailored aspect of the program. For sure. And we're actually uh, lucky to have one of your clients on the line. Sarah, are you there? Yes. Hey, how are you? Thanks for joining us on Eating Matters. Hi. Hi. Okay. Thanks for Um, having me. Of course. So um, I'm wondering how you found out about God's love and and how long you've been a client. Yes, I found out through a social worker in the hospital that I'm getting chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I've been the client for like almost two years. Mm-hmm. And, and we were just talking about sort of the way that um, the meals are tailored for um, chemo and other, you know, phases that you may be going through or things you've been feeling. Have you um, appreciated that or what have, what's your experience being, sort of being on the receiving end of these meals? Yes, I feel that it helps a lot for pe- for patients that are going through chemotherapy because they give you fresh fruits and very clean meals. It's not greasy or fried or salty or spicy, so it's good. It doesn't make you sick. And I felt that the fruit, especially when you're nauseous, and the breads, they give you rolls, which is very good when you're nauseous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you don't want to eat anything. It's very helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. And you have you have kids as well, right? Yes. I have four children. Wow. And so part of the God's Love program is that um, they're not just feeding you, the client, they're feeding family members and caregivers as well. So, Alyssa, maybe you can talk to us a little bit how that works and sort of adds to your work. And then, Sarah, if you want to chime in with what that experience is like on your end, that would be great, too. Great. So, um Really early on, I think we recognized that when we were delivering to clients that had children, of course, they're concerned about their own health, but if they can't feed themselves, they're having a really difficult time also feeding their children. And so, especially mothers, um, we're giving their food to their children, and that doesn't accomplish our goal of nourishing the client through their illness. So we instituted a children's program, and it's a totally different meal, and it's nutritious for them, and... um, Half, uh, midway through our meal program, we actually surveyed clients, and we were doing. We had a different um, model, and based on that survey, we switched to um, morning meals and a snack and a, a very nutritious dinner because many 
uh, kids were getting school lunch. So again, it's one of those programs that has really evolved. And then senior caregivers are really a, a touch point, I think, in our healthcare system. There are so many seniors living with seniors, caring for each other. And once um, a partner sort of um, is not able to be there for the person they're caring for, everything sort of falls apart. So we knew that that was another key area that we needed to support our clients in. And it's been wonderful. I mean, it's just such a remarkable program. For sure. Sarah, do you have anything to add to sort of how how God's Love um, feeding your kids has, has helped? Or Yes, I think it helped me very much. It was like, well, from God's love, <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't cook for myself, let alone my children, and I wanted my children to ha- be able to have a hot meal, so they provided that, where I don't have to be uh, cooking anything, I just have to heat it up, or one of, I have an older daughter that will heat it up, so it's easier for her, you know, and safer. And I don't have to worry about her using the stove or anything. You know, you can heat it up in the oven or in the microwave, and it's very helpful. And they like the food. <laughs> that's so important that's with kids. Very always. helpful. And you know, sometimes when someone is on chemotherapy, you have trouble getting out of bed. So imagine cooking and feeding your kids. It's just so helpful. To have that for sure and um Alyssa, this is more for you but sarah feel free to to chime in as well um why is it so important you think that food be a central component of this kind of care because as we've talked about a little bit um all fair and, and as we'll get to um it's sometimes tough to find support and funding streams for this so you know why food? <laughs> right. So um, at God's Love, we always say that it's sort of two sides of a coin. You know, food is love, and I've talked a lot about the emotional component and um, a home-delivered, home-cooked, basically, meal. All of our meals have volunteer input. They chop our vegetables, go out on our deliveries, etc. So there's really the food is love side, and I don't really think that can be underestimated. It's not, quote-unquote, measured maybe as much as the other things that I'm about to talk to. Um, but our clients feel it. Um, and so there's that <clears throat> aspect of it. And then, then there's the food is medicine aspect of it. And um, I really, I think that that's the practical aspect of it. Um, you know, the, uh, the costliest 1% of, of um, patients in our country today are responsible for 21% of healthcare costs. And um, over 75% of costs overall are related to chronic illness, which nutrition addresses um, immediately. So it can't be underestimated that from a practical standpoint, if we want to work toward a better healthcare system, that we can't leave nutrition out of the equation. Um, everybody wants, um, wants the, the healthcare system to work toward not just giving people treatments, but better health outcomes and also clients that are satisfied with their care. So when you have an intervention that is low cost and pretty simple to implement and has a really fast return on investment, like uh, results are seen within weeks instead of years, you know, um, and that's for medication adherence, rehospitalization, having the strength to go to a doctor's visit, all of these issues that our healthcare system is trying to address, you can't leave it out 
of the equation if you want to accomplish those goals. Mm-hmm. And and your focus that God's love is on you know pushing for these kind of progressive healthcare policies that would make this easier and that would include the kind of services that you offer. Um, how's that been going, and and where have you seen the most success so far in pushing for that? Yeah, I think um, progressive is one way to talk about it. It's also just like good healthcare. If we're <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if we're gonna get to a place where those three principles um, are reality for everyone, not just people that can afford it, we have to really think about the supportive services that allow for those what I would call clinical outcomes to be a reality. So um, I think that. Um, What's really shocking is that even after all of the all the the stats and factoids that I've mentioned um, about health improvement, there's no dedicated federal funding stream for medically tailored meals for people that are sick. So it's kind of shocking when you think about it. Um, the only uh, funding stream that does consider food is Ryan White, which is supporting HIV/AIDS clients through um, through their illness, and that really was largely because of all the work that people like Ganga and others around the country did at the height of the AIDS pandemic. So um, we were really looking to the Affordable Care Act to jumpstart that, take into account you know the amazing results really that Ryan White had supporting people that way and incorporated into healthcare reform. And so when that didn't happen, we were our, our national coalition, the Food is Medicine Coalition, which is uh, organizations like God's Love around the country that started up during the AIDS pandemic and are continuing today. We're, we were really disappointed. <laughs> and then with the divided Congress, we realized that we really had to think of a different strategy. And so we refocused our vision on state-based solutions. And we've seen a lot of innovation and a lot of um, movement towards that incorporation on the state level. And New York is a real front runner. Um, I can talk a little bit more about that unless you want me to for sure well we actually need to take a quick break but we will be back with sort of more of the the nitty-gritty of the policy and and what we're seeing in new york and nationally um when we get back you're listening to eating matters on heritage radio we are talking to Alyssa wasong the director of policy and planning for god's love we deliver as well as sarah a client of god's love and we'll be back in just a minute Let me tell you now a story that your blood will chill to hear. Story of the day when I first met my greatest fear. I was traveling down on flight 66. At 6 p.m. that day While sitting in my window seat I felt the floor Yeah This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery Calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. We are students at Girl Scout. 
Welcome back to Eating Matters. I'm your guest host today, Talia Ralph. We are talking about meal delivery to people living with life-altering illnesses with um, God's Love We Deliver's Director of Policy and Planning, Alyssa Wasung, as well as a client of theirs, Sarah, who is um, surviving cancer and living with four kids and, and on the receiving end of what God's Love does. So thank you both so much for being with us. Um, thank Alyssa, you. Thank before you. the break, we were talking a little bit about New York State being actually a forerunner in terms of providing um, this kind of support and services. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit more about what New York is doing and, and maybe what other states could be doing more of? <laughs> sure. So without a, a federal uh, policy that would address what we're talking about, there are different iterations in each state. Um, and we in New York State actually have an 1115 waiver that allows um, food and nutrition to be provided for one of the highest risk um, uh, patient populations in our state. So these are people that are, are receiving um, a lot of home-based care, and really they're trying to uh, help them stay in their homes and out of, say, a nursing home or an institution. So back in 2005, God's Love began partnering with these plans to help deliver meals to their beneficiaries, and it has grown from about 3,500 meals a year in that um, in that year to over 200,000 now, and we really see that growth as a testimony to what the what the state and what the clients and what the plans are all seeing, which is that their clients are healthy and in their homes and not being hospitalized as much. They're stable. They're independent, and all of this is like is a mutual benefit. It's not just on the cost side. Um, any sick person that I know wants to stay at home and wants to maintain their independence. So it's a real success story. And right now we're actually working with the state to try to incorporate that same benefit for people before they kind of fall off that treatment cliff into the more expensive and more costly side of the healthcare system. And we're having great results. The um, New York State has really been um, out ahead of the pack when it came to incorporating the Affordable Care Act. So um, so that's wonderful, and, and we're really, really excited about that. And then I would just say, um, in terms of other states, it's sort of like a forensic battle. <laughs> you have to kind of, um, we have colleagues all over the country, um, but some are able to deliver meals through a 1915C waiver, and some are partnering with accountable care organizations, and others are partnering with federally qualified health care centers. There's all sorts of different iterations of policy all around the country, um, and we're working hard to maintain that knowledge base and really help people learn how uh, to serve the clients that so desperately need what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah, what would you like to see more of in terms of, you know, policy or, or services being, you know, obviously on the receiving end of this, what do you think is, is missing from the system or from the support that you would like? As far as, uh, uh healthcare or. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> other social services that you think would, would be helpful. Uh, well, I would like to see more help for patients that have children like myself, especially young children, because mm-hmm. I had to uh, look everywhere trying to get help, uh, especially when I was getting chemotherapy. I had to bring my children with me. If they could have some implement something or some kind of childcare at these places or somewhere they can be mm-hmm. so that... I don't have to worry about what do I do with my kids. Right. 
Yeah, that's probably the last thing you want to be thinking about. Yeah, and you know, at one at some one point, I was like, I can't come here. It was too difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, so so somebody helped me out and found me a program, but it's not that great. I mean, they need more help with for patients that have children because all the patients that you know have chronic illnesses are not elderly they're patients like me i'm 40 years old i have four children that are young Mm -hmm. and you know they need to help you know put something maybe in the healthcare system that can cover something like that Mm -hmm. so i just I totally agree with you, Sarah, and I think you bring up such an important point about all the services that surround you to help you get the care that you need. And even though I obviously believe that food and nutrition is an integral part of that and you can see it in your life, I I believe also that there are so many other pieces. And where you see that kind of holistic approach to healthcare is in Ryan White. Someone living with HIV AIDS can get transportation assistance, legal assistance, rent assistance, et cetera. And, you know, that's not necessarily available to people living with very uh, serious illnesses that are not HIV AIDS. So um, a totally terrific point. And just one other way that I think the country is finally waking up to the fact that what we call structural interventions, kind of a big word, but all of the things that help people get to the doctor's appointment or or take their medications, that those Mm -hmm. things are becoming critical to achieving the kind of health care that we want to have in this country. For sure. And so, you know, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg, but what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in the push to get this? Where are you seeing resistance or roadblocks? (laughs) I'm smiling. (laughs) Um, Well, I'd say, first of all, the absence of national policy on it um, that addresses food at every stage of the care, um, the care spectrum is a real challenge. You know, the Department of Agriculture takes care of some parts of nutrition and then HHS takes care of nutrition and institutions and other things, but there's no National Department of Food, which we all on this program know. Um, So the fractured funding stream makes for fractured advocacy. So it's difficult even as much as we reach our hands to other organizations to come up with a cohesive policy there. And so with the state-based approach, you get very... Um, it's hard to keep track of all the idiosyncratic ways that (laughs) policy is implemented at the state level. But we are doing a good job with that, I think. And um, I think everybody gets that nutrition is important. It's helping policymakers and the medical community, honestly, take that next step to say, and we should fund it, and it should be supported in policy. So, um, you know, it's a it's a long road, but I think we are seeing more and more um, the acceptance coming. And part of that has to do a lot with uh, proving what we know intuitively um, in research explicitly. So um, one of our colleagues, uh, sister organizations in Pennsylvania, MANA, um, did a small pilot study that really showed how incredible the return was if someone was on program versus off program uh, costs dropped $30,000 in the first three months. That's healthcare Mm -hmm. costs. There was less hospitalization, less rehospitalization, more likely to be discharged to your home. All of those markers were just off the charts. And so things like that are going a long way to um, helping people 
bridge that gap and make that leap. Mm-hmm. Right. And food is such a simple intervention. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're saying, and, and like we hear from you, Sarah, that it really is so easy to just make that shift. And yet it makes so much of a difference person to person. Um, so uh, you got into this work, Alyssa, studying bioethics at Yale, um, <laughs> which is a really fascinating field. Um, and I'm wondering if you could sort of tell our listeners about that and how you found your way to God's love, where you see um, that background feeding into what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> um, I, I think bioethics is such a wonderful field. And the reason why it is, is because it integrates so many different disciplines in um, understanding a an issue and trying to work our way to a resolution. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that in the healthcare landscape. People recognize that medicine isn't just medicine. It has to involve a lot of different voices, has to involve the whole person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that bioethics gets right. Um, it's also a lot about justice. So I feel very passionately about my job, uh, partially because of that. Um, and that, as I said before, it should be um, good health care for everybody. Um, and then I think um, I worked a lot in end-of-life issues, and whereas we support our clients um, at any stage of illness and keep them as healthy as possible for as long as possible, um, I worked in hospice, actually, so Ganga and I have kind of a, a similar beginning mm-hmm. and uh, just saw the care and the attention that was delivered um, in and around very difficult situations. And then coming to God's love, it was just a perfect fit. There's so much love at God's love. That's why our name is God's love. Um, and that really translates, I think, to efficacy in a sort of backwards equation. Mm-hmm. And where does the name come from, just out of curiosity? We didn't get to oh, this right. at the beginning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't finish the narrative. So Ganga, you know, was, was riding around the neighborhood on her bike delivering meals and she uh, was stopped by a minister and the minister said okay I've seen you around here all the time and what are you doing so she explained what she was doing and he said oh you're not delivering meals you're delivering God's love and that was the way we got our name awesome Um, and we're almost out of time but a question for both of you Sarah maybe you could answer first Um, we're at the beginning of 2015 and we have you know almost a full year ahead Um, what are you hoping to see in terms of you know healthcare promoting healthier eating choices or we touched on it a little bit but what are you looking forward to in terms of services Um, I would love to hear from both of you Sarah do you want to go first yeah um, well I would prefer a little more uh, maybe fresh fruit and vegetables, maybe uh, um, I already get nutrition, a nutritionist to call me and, you know, education, um, things that are good, you know, for certain types of illnesses to strengthen your immune system, things like that, education. And uh, maybe some, like I said, with some kind of help getting more fresh fruit, vegetables, uh, fish, and stuff like that, because it's expensive. Maybe mm-hmm. someone can, you know, implement that into, you know, healthcare. Mm-hmm. What about you, Lisa? Sure. I think I'll take more of the policy side, because, <laughs> of course, I Sorry. agree with Sarah. Um, 
I uh, I think it's it's getting people to make that leap is where we're going, and of course that starts with with policymakers. Um, we are constantly functioning on all cylinders. We're looking for support through Ryan White to continue for people living with HIV. We are continuing our state-level policy advocacy um, and also really working through um, the decision. I mean, if CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, were to make a categorical decision that included the benefit in the packages all over the country, I mean, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're you know, working on education and partnering with our um, anti-hunger colleagues. We're presenting at the National Anti-Hunger Policy Conference and spreading the word, really, um, that this is an important benefit for all. It's sort of like we all know that if we get if we have a heart attack, that our insurance is going to cover that heart attack. And even if we don't have a heart attack, it's important that that benefit be there for people that do. And we really feel that food and nutrition for critically ill people is similar to that. So it's it's spreading the word and and educating people and working toward that policy change for the good of our clients. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners out there who are interested in sort of joining this push or. Um, helping you guys or other organizations like you, what would you suggest they do? Um, well, for sure, go on our website. Um, we have a, a policy and advocacy section, and there's a ton of information. We also have a national um, mailing list for our Food as Medicine Coalition, so lots of really wonderful information flows through that. And um, find the organization in your area that's doing what we do and get involved, I would say, volunteer um, and lend your voice to the message that we're all spreading. Hashtag food is medicine. Great. Well, that brings us to the close of this episode of Eating Matters and the second part of our series, Prescribing Food. Kim will be back next week with more great food policy talk. If you don't want to miss a beat or an episode, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow us on Stitcher. Special thanks, as always, to our engineer, Liz, our sponsors and supporters, Tim Archer for our show music, and of course, thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.